The Rice to Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook by using promo code RTRS and brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Uh, Briggs Auction, the official auction of the process, briggsauction.com. LL Pavorsky Jewelers, where Rice to Ricky Sanchez listeners go and get engaged. And Kinetic Skateboarding, get 9.1% off your first order with promo code Dave Silver. On the show today, I can't tell you I ever thought this one would happen, but Tobias Harris... Sixers forward, a player that we have always believed in and endorsed, me specifically, joins us on the pod. We are recording this before we talked to Tobias, so hopefully it went well. Fingers crossed. Uh, I did mention kinetic skateboarding. Maybe, maybe you got some like gift cards around Christmas time or Hanukkah time. You got 50 bucks, you got 100 bucks, you know what place to spend it? Kinetic skateboarding. I said they were doing a raffle for these. They're always doing these raffles for these like one-of-a-kind Nike Dunks. They have the eBay Nike Dunks. Did you see those on their Instagram? No. Fucking amazing. Really cool looking, like red, yeah. blue, green. I don't know, whatever. Really cool. Kinetic has stuff that you're not going to get anywhere else, whether it's clothes, hoodies, uh, shorts, t-shirts, whether it is sneakers that you're not going to find anywhere else. And they are your hookup. Now that it's winter, snowboard time, baby. You get a new snowboard from Kinetic Skateboarding. You're getting free tunes for life. Go to kineticskateboarding.com and use promo code Dave Silver for 9.1% off your first order. Without any further ado, Amos, the chef, and Tobias. excited to have you here man this is this is a big deal this is huge um do you excited to be here you've you've been a little bit of a not you're a better player than journeyman indicates but like you've had you've played for a bunch of teams Mm -hmm. and you you're now you've now been on the sixers and played more games for the sixers than any other team that you've played for does it feel that way does it feel like you've been here a while and like gotten yeah settled (laughs) that yeah i mean um you know like you said i've been on different teams, different organizations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been through a lot with this organization, you know, obviously like coming here in the trade, um, you know, anytime you're on a team that has expectations to win a championship, be in the playoffs, those are obviously like long seasons. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we've had some heartbreaking losses as well. So those make the, that makes those seasons even longer. Right. Those off seasons are long. Uh, so, yeah, I do feel like I've definitely been here for some some time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, you know, I've enjoyed my time here as well. What We've been doing the podcast for almost 10 years now. 
And one of the things about the Sixers and your time here too, is there's always something weird that happens. <laughs> like every year, there's always something weird. Like what is in your time here? What is, if there was, if there was one thing that stood out is you were like, man, that was fucking weird. What was the weirdest moment for you here? Oh man. What? There's been, <laughs> uh, you're going to get him a in trouble. Bunch of them, right. Right. Yeah. He is going to get him in trouble. <laughs> no, I think, uh, you know, uh, dang, I, I don't really see, have to think on that. For, for yeah, some time. I can all see right. it all running through your head right yeah. now. <laughs> we can just, it's like a, like a sliding uh, text yeah. at the top of the screen. Uh, you mentioned the heartbreak, and I just wanted to, I don't feel like you have been asked about this as much as other people. So I, I rewatched the Kawhi shot in advance of this inter- interview. Mm-hmm. You were covering the inbounds on, on, the, on the Kawhi shot in Toronto. Then you were blocking out Marcus Gasol right in the paint for it. So you're right. You had like the best angle yeah. for it. Mm-hmm. What what were you thinking in that moment? And have you gotten over it yet? And then you can ask me if I've gotten over it yet. <laughs> well, I can tell you haven't gotten over it. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, in that moment, like, you know, obviously I was right under the basket blocking out and uh, James Ennis was right there with me. But, you know, once that, that bounce goes up, I definitely was like, all right, we're going overtime, right? Like this ball is coming off the rim and, you know, there's, there isn't going to be any time left. Um, but then when it goes in, it, it was like, oh, fuck, like, damn, this shit is, this is ridiculous. Like how did that go in? Um, have I gotten over it? It's always one of those things like in the back of my head that we, uh, you know, I always think about like what if type type situation because, you know, I, I always said like early in that season, whoever comes out the East is going to win it. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought for sure we had a really good shot to of doing something special. Um, but yeah, so I guess I'm only slightly over a little bit. You move on, but this different season, the next year came, we had a whole new team and whatnot. So, um, yeah, like it, it was hard, but have you gotten over it? I'm going to say no. That's probably right. <laughs> that's probably right. We, you know, that's a, a funny thing to to think about. I was actually, because um, you've had your, you know, you had a, a moment, I think it was last year with the fans where there was a little back and forth, right? And I was actually thinking about uh, Lane Johnson who plays for the Eagles and, uh, you know, he's going to play through uh, a torn tendon in his abdomen, right? And I was thinking about the difference in how an athlete perceives the game and how a fan perceives the game, right? And sometimes athletes will like be on the sidelines laughing or after the game laughing when they've lost, but they're the ones who went through the physical grind. Mm-hmm. And and the fans are just there watching in their free time. And after the game, they'll get mad at, at something like that. Do you ever, when you were going through that last year with fans and, you know, and like you, you yelled something back at, I forget what it was, um, but- do you ever it think was, about like the the difference? He, remember, in, he remembers. He remembers. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I know what it was. I know what I yelled back. <laughs> <laughs> well, do, do you ever think like think about that that sort of like um, that difference in in what the game is specifically to you and the what the game is to them? You know. Yeah, I mean, uh, the game has like shifted now, whereas like you know, let's just say. Um, 10 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Fans come to games. You know, basketball, NBA is a form of entertainment. The same way, like, 
if I went to a football game or a soccer game, whatever it may be, I'm going there. Obviously, wherever you're from, you feel connected with the city, with the, with the community, right? So it's like the fan element is this sense of cohesiveness to the basketball, to the organization, um, the sense of pride, right? So I gauge all those things in terms of like the athlete, you know, it's just like their job. This is their livelihood. This is, you know, what shapes them as kind of like, it's what shapes us as individuals our whole life is like sports. Me personally is basketball has shaped my whole life, you know, quote unquote, like your identity as a person, like people recognize you because of what you do. Um, now, like, I feel like if you fast forward to now, the fans perspective is a little bit different with other things that go on in the space of entertainment and basketball, right? Like now a lot of fans are equally invested more because of betting and things of that nature. So there's a lot of fans mm-hmm. come to the game. Like, you know, you'd be upset about your team losing. It's like, okay, man, I'm upset. I'm going to go home and wake up tomorrow. It's like, no, I'm upset. I just lost my bet as well. And I'm going to go home and wake up tomorrow. X amount of dollars broker that broke, like a, like a loss than I was today. So there's there's more of this like this energy and this gauge, and that's why I believe like you know you're seeing more and more fans become super like into the game because like okay that's my sports team, but also there's a chance for me to win some money here on a few games, and uh, so that that's what I think that like you see this shift in the sports and in the entertainment world as well as like fans are like equally invested now because they can have a piece of this whereas like 10 years ago you know if you had a bookie on the side you can make a deal but like now you could do that out in the open like it ain't nothing yeah. you know i i think too um you know 20 years ago they would walk away from the game it would be a loss maybe they would watch the highlights in the morning and then they would go about their lives they think about it but now when they look at their phone they they're reliving every moment yeah. a million times and and maybe they used to get a break from they, the player would lose or something they would get a break from that person for a day or two but now they look at their phone and there's there's like that person losing over and over again or a facial expression they made and i feel like sometimes the what's the phrase familiarity breeds contempt like maybe everybody's talking to each other too much a little bit you know seeing each other a little too much and they haven't before yeah i mean social media is part of that too you know because yeah. like you like you're you're mad you're upset at this player and then you see him on Instagram posting photos you're like man f, f this guy you know just, <laughs> you know just lost the game lost some money whatever but I guess that's kind of like to your point it's what makes the game as popular as it is and as exciting yeah. um, but you know there's both sides of it so obviously over the over the last uh, few years but really especially this off season. Uh, you took on the task of like changing your game or what you're most comfortable doing to mm-hmm. getting shots off quicker, being a more willing shooter, even with guys right in your face from the three-point line. Um, we're there over the offseason. You've talked about how much work you put in the offseason. That's very evident. Dunking, um, dunking. Give him credit well, for Well, I'm going to do the dunking question later. Dunking. <laughs> okay. We'll, right. get, we'll okay. get there. We'll get all there. Right. All right, all right, um, Were there, what was the process of you like doing that like changing your mindset were, were, were there guys that you modeled your game after like in the off season of like, Oh, this guy does more of the thing that I'm trying to do now. Um, or even like talk to around the league to, to get yourself there in, in like speeding up your release and changing your mindset there. Uh, there weren't necessarily 
guys, but, you know, like towards last season, towards the end of the year in the playoffs, when I kind of adapted that type of mindset and that approach, for me it was like, okay, like you're not getting the same amount of volume. So you have to figure out ways to get that volume or else, you know, you're just going to be sitting over there in, in the game. You're going to be looking at, you know, six to eight shots a game. For me, it was like, okay, you know, if you keep allowing, not shooting those fast shots, and then you're shaking and driving into a lane of three, four people, that's also not creating a look for you, right? So I watched a lot of, like, film on all those type of looks and really saw that, okay, you could get that off in, you know, five seconds. But that wasn't, you know, ideal to my game, right? And I think, uh, you know, I watched, like, guys like Carmelo, go from being like this ultimate ISO guy to when he played with Houston, like he had to shape his game of being catch and shoot and like he's going to release real quick. Um, you know, I also look at like a lot of other guys like who had success in, in that role, like George on our team comes in and lets him fly. And, you know, he, he jumps like this high on his jump shot, but he still gets it <laughs> off. And like, I always like, like, dang, that's kind of crazy how fast he shoots the rock. Um, so just adding that element to my game, I needed to figure out something and then to shoot it at, um, a, a very high, uh, level of efficiency, efficiency from three was like really the things that I, um, uh, locked in on in the off season. Um, and to, to this year of shooting it the, the way that I want to shoot it, um, and get it up into the into the forties and, and stay in the forty clubs where I call it all throughout the year is important. Yeah. We've told our friends to tell their friends about that's right. Yeah, yeah. hey, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> let's let's talk about the dunking thing because my theory is the, the fact that you're shooting threes quicker, the defense and that's noticeable. The defense now has to rotate over quicker. They they uh, they contest your shots less in control, which allows you to blow by them and then get mm-hmm. dunks because your career high in dunks is 55. I looked it up. You are now at 23 dunks on the season. And okay. that's, you are on pace to beat that. And I need you to beat it. I need you to beat it. Because <laughs> aside from your rookie year, your, perfe- your percentage of field goal attempts that were dunks, all, every year you hovered around like 4 or 5%. This year, you're over 7% of your field goal attempts are dunks. And it, like some of them are thunderous. Some of them are like, you fucking putting it down on somebody, which we love. Because there hasn't been enough guys on this team that are willing to just like cram on somebody. And, I, and you becoming that guy was huge. What, what do you think is up with that? And is that something that you're mindful of? So it's funny you say that like a couple of years ago, I did, I was looking at that stat because uh, somebody had said to me like, oh, hey, uh, you're looking a little less athletic. So then I was like, <laughs> <laughs> but this I think was like two years ago. So then I had gone on. I was like, man, let me see if that person's right. Let me see how many dunks I had a year prior, how many dunks I had now. And I was like, dang, I got to start dunking some more. So then <laughs> I started like firing a little bit more ways, but it does open up the lane um, when you're shooting like that to, you know, that that's the game. It's like shoot the three ball well and, and quick enough that they have to close out to create those type of driving lanes. And then the thing is get to the, get in positions where you can get those driving lanes, because if they're closing out on you, that just opens up the floor and, you know, if you're driving and defense comes in, then you kick out and you're getting open threes and whatnot. So um, for me, like, I definitely look at that. 
And, you know, as I continue to, you know, year after year, this is my 12th year, but like personally and physically, I feel the best I've felt in my, in my whole career. Right. So like for, I, I do look, look at that stat a little bit to see like, okay, I'm, I'm peaking in the right direction, right. Of like where I see my athletic ability, the way that, um, now my body's able to recover and things of that nature. Uh, and, and really like all those things when you're, we talk about Duncan, but like when you're shooting that fast and that quick, the defense, they aren't helping off like, you know, what you would see on most, a lot of power forwards. Like they're, they're sitting there cause they know like that I can shoot it that fast as well. So all those things go into like the whole thing of how having our offense really flow and click. I would be constantly looking at my dunk numbers. I, I would just be refreshing it. I mean, like I dunked tonight. Let's get let's get back to the hotel so I can see if them them getting out of twenty four. I try to get one a game, man. One a game is good. One a game, good. I'll be cool with. I need so, a career high. You're gonna get it. Hey, let's do it. We take a quick break from our interview with Tobias Harris to talk about Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. We noticed in big in uh, Tobias's Instagram that his dog. Ivy sleeps in a big barker. He does not wow. officially endorse them. We just saw it on the Instagram. That's all I'm saying. What's What's more official than posting it on the Instagram? That is pretty official. It is pretty official. It's It's a true endorsement, actually. On the is grid? We're we talking be, grid. What do you mean? We're talking grid or on no, the story? Uh, story? Story. Okay, so it's less official. Well, I guess it we can seems, work up. We can work up to grid then. Doesn't it seem like the kids use the, the story more than they use the grid though? Definitely, but grid means more. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Big, Bar- well, I put Big Barker therapeutic dog beds on my grid. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Bigbarker.com slash Ricky. Rebel sleeps on a Big Barker. It's the only real dog bed on the market. It's the only dog bed engineered by experts to support your dog's joints. It'll keep your dog healthier. I know that sounds like a wild claim. Penn Vet went and did a study. All true. All true. They, uh, they reported a 17, 17% improvement in joint function, 22% reduction in pain severity. All this is is true. Like your dog sleeps a lot and the dog beds that you typically buy in a pet store or buy on some Instagram ad or something, unless that Instagram ad is Big Barker, it, it looks plush, but it's really just like a pillow and you can't sleep on a pillow. That's not supportive. Big Barker dog bed is supportive. I know it says big, but even if your dog is small, there's the Barker Jr. They have a size for every dog all the way up till giant. Dogs develop arthritis as they age, especially bigger dogs. This will help um, uh, shoo away the symptoms of such arthritis and delay those symptoms. Engineered by experts to keep your dogs youthful for longer and brings older dogs back to their best. There's a 10-year warranty. The foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. One year at home trial. If you don't like it, they'll give you a full refund and even pay for the shipping. Handmade in the USA. Big Barker Dog Beds. Woof, woof. Back to Tobias. I I actually want to take it back one step uh, before physically what you did to change your game and talk about mentally because I will come clean here in and I I said when all this happened I was not optimistic that you would make that change and I said that a bunch of times and the reason I thought that is because when you and this is when I want to ask you about what you thought and what you felt because when you get to a certain point in your career max player like near all-star well-respected player doing one specific thing. And then all of a sudden the the situation changes around you and everybody's telling you, well, that thing that you did become a successful player 
it's got to be different now. So mm-hmm. was there an emotional and like mental thing where you had to go and decide, even though I've been successful being player A, now I have to be player B. What did you go through? Because it, it sounds like an insignificant change, right? Just shoot faster. But it, it's, it's watching it. It's very, very different. So what did it feel like to have to do that? And did you have to make that decision like actively? Yeah, it, it was definitely a struggle because it's like, you know, I've had success in my game playing a specific way, right? And I always say, people always say like, well, like describe your game, like how would you play? And for me, it's just one word, flow, like in the flow of the game. You can put me in a position to post up. You can put me in pick and rolls to create, uh, to come off and, you know, I've always been very efficient in the mid-range and whatnot, um, you know, catch and shoot threes as well, like with space and, and with time prior to making the adjustment. So it was like, you know, at first it was like, hey, stay, stand in the corner and be ready to shoot. And for me, I'm like, nah, like, let me get the rock and come off a of pick and roll or let me get some post-ups, you know, let me do this, do that. Um, but then I was like, you know, I was like, hey, that, that that ain't happening. Like, that's not, that ain't the situation, right? So then I was like, okay, you know, as we allude to the beginners, like you can have that mindset and that approach, but, you know, then that ball comes to you, you hold it for five seconds, you're asking for a screen and roll, it's like slowing down the offense, and it ain't really what's conducive to the flow of the pace of, of how we play. And, um for me, I was like, okay, this isn't working. And I could sit back and kind of harp on it and complain about it, or I could really figure out, all right, what what's an adjustment, right? And, and the adjustment was, hey, you're going to have to catch and shoot, and you're going to have to shoot these, these at a, a higher volume. Like my goal this season coming in was to average eight threes a game, right? And that, that was like – Eight threes, five me. dunks. Yeah, eight three five. That, that, <laughs> but that that was like you know that's for me. It was like if you can get up eight threes a game, that helps our whole unit. That helps the spacing of the court. That helps. And honestly, it was eight threes a game and shoot above forty percent. Um, so there's games where I'm out there and I'm you know if if I'm over five, I'm thinking the next one you you got to shoot right because I you know the law of averages is, is just hey. You got to get them up. You got to shoot them. And there's going to be times in the season where you go, you know, six for eight or seven for seven. And there's going to be times where you go 0 for four. But in, in the grand scheme of things, like those nights where you are six for seven, those are the ones where you need to be shooting 12 to 13 of them, right? And allow the court to space and open the more and more. So I'm still gauging that and grasping that. But that was like, for me, I knew, like, I'm always going to run the floor. I'm always going to hustle. There's going to be offensive rebounds for me to get. And from time to time, like, we have the the one of two of the best isolation players in the league. So there's only going to be so many isos for me, right? And I'm a really good isolation player as well. So it's like, but you have to figure out there's a balance. And for me, the balance with the talent on, on our roster, I had to make this change or else I was just going to sit, sit, sit around there and, get up whatever shots like come my way and slow the offense down even more. And then it just looked like 
a total mess. So I had to really like make that true adjustment. Are Are you happy that you did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am because like for me, it's like this. This just shows a a, a new element of my game, right? Now, I've always been somebody. Whatever you ask of me, I'm gonna do right. Like if you know, I, I was never the best defensive player on on a team. You know, uh, when I was in LA. I was regarded as average defender. When I first got to Philly, I was regarded as an average defender. You know, I, I still don't believe I get the proper credit for on the defensive end what I bring to the table. But at the end of the day, like I and my teammates know in those timeouts, it's like, Tobias, we need you on this guy. They know like I'm not one to be like, nah, I don't I can't guard him. I'm like, no, nah, I got you. Like, who is it? All right, let's figure it out. Right. So, you know. For me, that's just how I look at it. So I am happy with the development and the growth of it because, you know, I, I always just pride myself on doing whatever the team needs for us to for us to win, right? And letting all the letting everything work its way out from there. Um, so I am happy that I was able to make that adjustment and, and be able to play like how I've been playing. You were so close to doing a doc impression there. I could feel it. I could feel like you were about to say when you said your name, Tobias. I'm like, you're gonna, you're, you're inches away from that. Uh, I, you, I've thought that your defense has been underrated for a long time. You're, you're, you're big. You're strong. I think you use your hands well. You don't rack up the like steals and blocks numbers that Matisse does, but they have gone up over the years. And I think that, uh, especially like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip ahead to a question that I wanted to ask, like. I feel like uh, on the, my least favorite thing, and you tell me what you think. My least favorite thing is like when teams send help when they don't have to, yeah. because that opens up such an easy lane to a kick out for an open shot, which everybody knows on offense, you're trying to get those open shots off a kick out. I feel, do you feel like you take pride in being a guy where you don't need to send help? If you got Kawhi on you or something, you're like, he, he might hit the shot. He's an incredible mid-range shooter uh contested but i'm gonna make him work for it mm-hmm. and do you do you like in the in those huddles when and you can do your doc impression this time when when he does say you got this guy do you are you telling guys like don't send help i got it like what is that like well like half the time we would rather their best player throw it to you know their fourth or fifth option mm-hmm. to be able to put the put the ball in their hands to say hey you need to make a play, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes that's more of a psychological thing than anything. So, like, if that's the game plan, then then I'm with it. Because it's like, you know, you double team the the star player, he throws the ball to the fifth option out there. Then now the fifth option has to make a play. And then the star player is like, yo, give me the ball back or whatever. And the fifth option is like, no, I was wide open. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So, like, half the time, it's more of a psychological play. But – um, no, like I, I think I, I really try to pride myself on guarding my yard, right? Like if I got a guard on me and, you know, there are, there are quick enough and good enough guys that you're not going to pitch a shutout and a lot of guys can get by you and create good plays. But for me, when I'm on somebody one-on-one and it's just an island, I'm really looking like I'm not letting this guy get a clean look off, right? Like I'm gonna, it's going to be contested. And if he makes a shot over me or drives by me, then – Either my body wasn't ready on that play or he just made a tough look. And that's mm-hmm. how, like, when I'm guarding a lot of different guys, that, that's what I'm looking at on the floor, like, at that time. 
Talk, talk to me about the the layup line tradition. The to start the pregame. I don't feel like I've I've heard people ask about this, but like yeah, nobody. <laughs> where you decide who gets to be the first dunk to kick us off. You do the you do the goggles. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember hearing where it started. Why are you the guy that gets to pick that? Talk, talk to me about like the the genesis of that and what what's going what what the, the whole thing, all of it. I want to know. I feel like it just it just came about one day, uh, probably start season, where I just I just did it. Like I think like um, early in my career, layup lines was like uh, early in my career, I was like just super locked in, super focused, no smiles, anything. It was just. Nah, super serious. And like one time I was like, nah, like I'm going to spice this thing up and we're going to have a little excitement, have a little fun and do something before the game, just relax a little bit. And um, I ended up doing it. And now it's like been a thing on and on. Uh, But the real thing is I always pick the person that I pick is either like from that city or, you know, they could be coming back right from, you know, being out or something, but Mm -hmm. it's just, to get the team up, get the team excited. And then like, you know, it's to really see who really got it. Like who can jump? Like we always talk like <laughs> on a team, who's, the, who's our high flyer, who's our most, most athletic. And, um, you know, it's always like a debate sometimes. So it's like the opportunity, like, let's see what you got today. Right. And sometimes guys are like, Hey, don't pick me today. And, uh, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes guys are like, Hey, today's my day. Today's my day. So we just, it, it's kind of like a fun thing to do. And, uh, we've been we've been sticking with it. So I like and it. and shake shake is like your little like assistant doing that. I feel yeah. like I feel like you call it and shake's like the the sidekick there. Well, it used to be Tyrese, but since Tyrese is out, shake took his spot. So That's now nice. when Tyrese comes back, we're gonna have to push shake back in his spot. Back to the bench. Well, yeah. look, one time you gotta you gotta get Doc's ass in there to start us off with the dunk. Like you just <laughs> point to Doc, bring him in there. <laughs> nice That'd easy dunk. <laughs> How important is the relationship with your teammates off the court? Man, it's, it's the biggest thing. Because um, we, you know, this is like we're around each other so much. You know, we're out there, we're competing uh, with, you know, uh, with each other as, as a whole group against whoever we play against. You know, so outside, everybody on a team wants to be the best that they can be on the floor. And, um, you know, when we're on those plane rides, when we're on those bus rides, it's all about just communicating and talking and um, having a good time and not, not taking it like too too serious, right? We, we we're all competitors. We're all um, you know have have gotten to this spot by doing something successful, right? And everybody, you know, is is uh, really works on their craft on a day to day basis. So off the floor. It's always making sure that everybody's getting along and has a good vibe to the whole morale of the team. And we got great guys on this group. So um, for me, I always just try to be a connector of each and every guy to be able to have a conversation with and be able to, you know, it's, it's a long season. So making sure guys have their right mental because, uh, you know, this, this 15, 16, 16 guys on team, man, only – 10 of them play. So you always got to make sure everybody is still online and, and, and ready to go whenever their opportunity and name is called. It, it might sound like a silly question, but is it hard to play with somebody that you don't get along with off the floor? Uh, no, not necessarily. I think, you know, uh, it's when, when you get on that, on that floor, it's one goal and that, and that's to, 
that's to win. And if if you bring in um, outside, like outside personalities, whatever that you're going through to the court, then that that just goes to show like the focus isn't there. Because when you're on the floor, you know it's it's family, and we out there we're out there as a, as a group, and the five guys that are all on the floor. Um, on on the court at, at one time, the, f- the focus is to win, and 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 that's the goal of the whole group. So, you know, I don't think you know, I've been on teams where I haven't been in the best type of uh, vibe with players, but we still go out there, and and we know what our job is is to win because we know at the end of the day, like this is our livelihood, this is um, you know our job. So, this would puts the food on the table at the end of the day. So it's, it's about competing and balling. Do you, you've now played for Doc Rivers for two teams. Um, and you talked about yourself just now as a, as a leader and a guy that can check in with guys, especially if not at the end of the bench. You know, Doc, as, as a lot of coaches do, a reputation of like not, not, not really loving the young guys, not dying to be playing the young guys left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like because you've been with Doc now on two teams that you take on that like a role as like the Doc whisperer to like the other players and be like, ah, he he really means it like this or this is what he's looking for. This is how you get playing time, that kind of thing. I don't, I don't really know where that notion came from. Like I know it came from like the Boston days a little bit with the young guys. Um, Shea Gildas Alexander too. Didn't really play him as much as he could have, you know. There's no, a, I, I no, 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 no. He plays Shay. Not, not enough. Not enough. Let's <laughs> no, say. no, no. Didn't no, play Tyrese no. enough in his rookie year. Like, he could play him more. No, okay, hold on. Shay, I'm going to tell you right now. It was like game six. Clippers mm-hmm. came into practice one day and it was like, yo, Shay, you starting. Boom. Everybody like, dang, rookie, point guard? Yeah. He's starting like that was game six. Okay. That's when that that whole thing to, to me went out the window. Like boom, no. All right, all right. Uh, then fair. I say, you know, he played Avery Bradley mm-hmm. in, in Boston. Um, here, but Tyrese didn't play that much rookie year. But playoffs, Tyrese, you out there? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I think you know even now Tyrese like plays. This is what is, I think I don't even know what third. year this is third year, right? So yeah. um yeah, I mean I think you know obviously I, I'll say this when you're on a team that's fighting for a championship, it, young guys getting in rotation is not the easiest thing as well, right? Like, you know, you're on a team that's you know, in the lottery, you better play the young guys because it's like it's it's a youth movement. So I think you know, when you're on teams that's trying to win and, and um, you know, you're trying to run for a championship, getting the young guys in is it's not the easiest thing. But I, I am there to make sure the young guys know, like, keep 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 working, keep going, keep getting right. Like, the opportunity is coming. And, and when it does come, you got to really take full advantage of it. Take a break from the interview to talk about our sponsor, Briggs Auction. We are the only podcast I know Dogbed sponsor, actually, that I know of, and that has a local auction house as a sponsor. What do you? Only one. Only one. 
And there's only one Briggs auction. Four generations have of, of a family have owned and operated this auction house in Garnet Valley. You're like, well, why, why are you telling me about an auction house? Because they have cool shit. They have auctions like two, three times a month. Actually, leading up to Christmas, they had them like every single week. What kinds of auctions? Everything. Estate auctions. And then they have auctions with sports memorabilia. And then they have auctions with music memorabilia and art and clothing and furniture that you're not going to find anywhere else. Like unique uh, classic furniture, stuff that you could put in your house and somebody's going to see it and say, where'd you get that? You could say Briggs Auction. Mm -hmm. The best part about the furniture stuff, you're not waiting you know, uh, 60 days to 90 days because of supply chain issues. No, no, no. You get something at Briggs Auction. You can just go pick it up, open pick up on Saturdays or schedule a time during the week or work with them. They have shippers they work with. Briggs Auction. The auctions will start again right in the new year. They're the first week of January. There's another auction. Go to BriggsAuction.com. B-R-I-G-G-S Auction.com. Every week, every Monday or Tuesday, I check out what the new auction is, scroll through it, sometimes up to like 1,500 lots per auction. Mm. It's fun. Kill a little time. Better than Angry Birds. Kids still play Angry Birds? Uh, I'm almost certainly not. Okay. Uh, or you can download the app. Rather than the website, Briggs Auction in the App Store or Google Play. And if you want to downsize, you might have a, I don't know, you found a, a basement full of crap you think is worth something, send an email, info at briggsauction.com. We wouldn't tell you to go anywhere else. Briggs Auction. Now back to Tobias. Mm -hmm. I want to do a small book section of the podcast. I have four book questions for you. Is that okay? <laughs> right, let's do it. Okay. Because you've been, you know, we've seen you with books, blah, 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 blah. Um, the first one is, is you, we always, we've seen you with a book a lot. What is the last good book that you read that you would uh, recommend to people? Um, uh, last good one is probably that I read is, uh, you are the happiness you seek by, uh, Rupert Spira. Is it like a, it's like a self-help sort of. Yeah. Book? So oh, okay. it's like a self-help, just, uh, you know, understanding like the true nature of yourself, true root of yourself, uh, outside of basketball. I think, you know, mm -hmm. we, we touched on it like, well, I said like you're we've been so conformed with this identity, but it's really understanding like you life and anything that you do, never let it basically take conform you as a person. So that's kind of what that book had uh why I love this so much, it kind of made me realize that. Second book question how do you feel about Kindles and audiobooks? Um I wasn't the biggest fan of them. But then somebody like was like, "Hey, you should listen to this audio book," and then I did, and I was like, "Okay, I I, I can kind of get down with this because there's a lot of times where I'm either like walking my dog or sitting at a coffee shop, and you know, it, it make it does make it a lot easier. So uh, I I am a fan now. I'm a fan. Uh, third third of four. Have you ever read or bought a book just because it would look good on your bookshelf at home? No, <laughs> no. I, 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 still, I, I still have like a box of books from when we uh, when we moved that are just sitting in a box that aren't even on my my bookshelf yet. So I okay. no. not even getting shelf credit. For <laughs> yeah, it's, right? it's not it's just sitting in a box right now. And then final question: I'm not going to name any names, but there have been uh, you know superstar players in the NBA who have been photographed with books, but it always seems like maybe they didn't get past the first or second page of the book. <laughs> Do you think that that gives you a bad name because other unnamed players maybe hold books and don't read them? Yeah, a little bit more like a prop for them. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I think that, and I will say that there, um, there was one time 
where I was bringing this book into the arena and reading it, but like it was only, I would leave it in my car because I was reading another book at home. And then one of my friends was like, yo, you got to hurry up with that book. And I was like, wow. Like, yo, people are commenting like, damn, how long have you been reading that book? <laughs> so now I'm always like conscious. I'm like, man, I'm not bringing this book aside because I'm reading two books right now. And I don't want to hear anybody telling me that I need to hurry up with this book. So You yeah, just got to come in with a big just, stack on the way in and then yeah, different, fully different just, stack on the way back. Sometimes I just leave it in the locker. <laughs> That's good. For me when I go to the game. That's good. Uh, you you know off of the book thing you're you're always talked about on national broadcast everybody as one of the nicest guys in the league one of the like easiest guys to get along with one of the nicest guys in the league do do you like that or are there times when you're like I also want to be known as a mean son of a bitch <laughs> no I think you know what people consider me as um, you know it's fine for for their opinion of me i I do believe i i i show a lot of respect to a lot of people and um yeah you don't if somebody there are people who think i'm nice but there are also people who think i'm an asshole so like yeah it's just their opinion like uh but it just for me like i know the uh i i try any any person that i meet i try to make sure that you know they left a better person or or they left happier than they they were before they met me. Like I I learned that from my friend Bobby. Uh, you know, every person he meets, he always tries to make sure that they leave happier when they met him. And um I try to do the same thing sometimes. It it is hard at times, but for me, like I think that's bigger than basketball, right? To just treating people with respect, with kindness. Uh so yeah, I mean, people's opinion is their opinion. Well, that's very nice. I, I did have a Boban question because your friendship with Boban has gotten a lot of coverage. It has made you some money in commercials, which is not bad. <laughs> yeah. I have I have zero profitable friendships, which I got to work on. Uh, who on the team now, Boban's been off the team for a few years. Who on the team now is like most likely to fill the Boban, the big Boban mm. shoes? I have five choices for you. And I'm going to hear your choices. Yeah. So one is Matisse. You guys are always you guys are together a lot. He's very silly. He's very photogenic in the way that Boban is also. So that's one. Korkmaz is another. You got the accent. Also photogenic, handsome man. Uh, has a similar like confused look that Boban will occasionally have, and I find it delightful. Yeah. Uh, next is George Niang, uh, who talks massive shit, not like Boban at all, but is charming in like a in a very polar opposite way. And he's also photogenic, despite him having a very unique bo- body shape, which is like Boban. Unique shape. Oh, and, man. And then we got two more. We got B-Ball Paul, who is not as photogenic as the other three, let's be honest. But he is delightful and also tall. So that's important to know. And an entrepreneur. And an entrepreneur, sales, like Boban. Right. Yeah. And then finally, Maxi, who is the only person in the world who could like match the sweetness level of Boban, who your wife told you to protect at all costs. So I want those are your five options. Who, are, who is the most Boban replacement? Those are those are all great options. I would probably go with um, George. I would go okay. with George. Yeah. Wow. It's the shape. I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not going to go there. You know, Spike tried to throw out the b-ball paw entrepreneur, you know. 
<laughs> I, me and Bebo Paul, we did have a discussion today about the hoodies. I love and it. And I told him, all you have to do is find a different distributor that will <laughs> charge you less to yeah. make. And we can have a better profit margin. So we, we're discussing here. We, I can. I have. We have. Dist- we do merch. We could hook him up with somebody if you I want. Love it. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey! Well, Paul has. He's getting his business under under the wraps here, right? He's, yeah. He's I, I love it. I, I love it too. Did you know we had him on the podcast, and then he tweeted us saying he needs to do our podcast, having forgotten that he had already done the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I got no comment with All that right. one. Guys. We love him, man. We love we're, I'm yeah, a, I'm we're the big biggest people ball fan in the world. Yeah. Um you mentioned your dog. Your dog's name is Ivy, right? Yeah. Um, so we uh it was funny. We had a bunch of listeners send us tweets and Instagrams because you you Instagrammed a picture of Ivy on a dog bed that advertises on our podcast, Big Barker. So everybody send us pictures of it. Is tell us about your relationship with your dog and where your dog fits into your life. Okay, for for one, that dog bed is fire. Like we have like three of them in in the house. Uh-huh. So one's in her crate, others in the living room, and then we have another in um, like the basement. Big she Barker. Lo- she yeah. loves, yeah, Big Barker. Hey, they don't pay me, but that's a great great <laughs> bed. They're not gonna lie. <laughs> uh, so we love we love that. Um, but like my whole life, I've been afraid of dogs. It was just like uh-huh. my my dad is afraid of dogs. He's still afraid of our our dog um but it was like one of those things and i was just like well you know i'm I'm afraid of dogs let me go get one of the biggest dogs that there is and american bully right yeah um but she is just amazing i've learned myself and wife have learned a lot about um how to train dogs and we're getting her there she's a work in progress just because she's super energetic and um, you know, I, I made some mistakes early on in training of like spoiling the dog. So now I'm trying to right those wrongs. But one thing I do love is that anytime she's always, I'm always like taking her out on walks and whatnot. And, um, I, I, I love her. She's, she's the best. She has like energy all day. Like if I took her to a park, she could be out there for at least 10 hours and not be tired. Like it's just an all day thing, but I love spoiling my dog as well and, and bringing her home treats and, and things of that nature. So we, we, we have a great time and she's my favorite. Um, she drives my wife crazy, but for me, you know, it has definitely allowed us to understand that we're probably not ready for a kid. yet. <laughs> <laughs> but so, and also to know that like, uh, if I had to do it again, I would have took a course on how to train a dog and read like a couple of books on dogs before I got one. So I'm going to learn that before we have a child. Smart. That's smart. Um, all right. One more, one more question to get you in trouble. Uh, after a game, a couple, about like a month ago, d- during the post-game press conference, which, you know, is unfortunate that you guys have to do after everyone, but... You know, right. it's, you know, it is what you got to do. What's happening here? You, you said, you know, what's going to happen. You said they ask, they ask you about the zone that you guys went to that worked. Oh, right. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, we never practice it. And then doc in the same night says, <laughs> oh, we practice that all the time. 
we're, we're practicing zone left and right. And so it was just the, the complete opposite. So for the record, how often do you guys practice zone defense when you utilize it? I messed that up. We, we did practice that all the time. Guys. Smart. Smart. Oh, um, man. Um, we had, I, I actually wanted to, uh, actually I have one, one more like real question, actually, if you, do you have time? Are you good with one more? Yeah, good. I'm all good right. for you guys, of course. Um, there, uh, your name has been mentioned, um, a bunch of times in like press trade rumors over the last couple of years. And then recently there was a, a rumor about James that was in the press, uh, recently. And every time you ask a player about it, They'll go, yeah, we just tune that stuff out, blah, 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 blah. I guess my question is, really, are you able to tune it out? And, and when something comes out about one person, does that become a discussion in, internally? And how does like a team get through that? Yeah, I mean, good question. I, I don't, honestly, I don't think anybody truly tunes that out, right? Like when we talk about early on, this is like, this is your livelihood. This is your job. And you know, not for nothing, like this is where you live, where you, I mean, where you reside, where you work, whatever. So anytime you hear those type of things, mentally you're like, okay, well, what's really going on here? And probably the first thing is a call to your representation of, hey, is this true? Or a call to people in the in the front office, like, is this really what's what's going on? And from there, you'll probably get like a, a bullshit answer and then you'll go out and play basketball and, you know, go home and then really realize like what's going on and you don't know until something happens or until the, the deadline approaches, right? And I think, um, you know, in the locker room, I think for most guys that are like okay with talking about it, you depend on personality, you you possibly could bring that up but some guys you just let it be and, and keep it pushing um but yeah i mean those discussions for sure happen about news that pops up and um you know wh where some of that stuff comes from i mean i've been in those situations all throughout my career so i kind of like know that more than anybody and and then just because i mentioned you and james we got a listener question it was actually for us but i'll ask you what is more likely James Harden to be spotted pregame reading one of the books that Tobias reads or Tobias spotted at a club with a rapper with stacks and stacks of cash next to him. Probably me spotted at a club <laughs> with a rapper with stacks of cash. I, I think that's more likely. To oh, yeah. just, um, he's just smart in a different way. James. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, oh, go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. I have a couple. I have a couple more. It's just like, I feel we talked about the booing a little bit earlier and I feel like especially for shooters it's just you're not even if you shoot 40% for the season there's going to be weeks where you shoot 12% and there's going to be weeks where you shoot 65% and so like there over the last over your time with the Sixers there's been a, a number of guys that have gotten have sort of been the guy to get booed and it was for, it was you for a little bit it was Horford for a little bit it was been Ben obviously it was Danny uh for a while which was which was funny cuz he's such such a such a funny guy to boo. Uh, it's just Danny Green. But like now it feels like because because you're, I mean, you've always been good here, but like especially your like willingness to take on this new role of getting shots up and 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 fans seeing the difference in that. Now it feels like 
your beloved. You've hit a bunch of like really big shots this year and you've been here for long enough to where people can really get a sense of you as a person and as a player. Like, how does that feel going, you know, the Sixers have, haven't had the postseason success that we've won to, but like you've now found a home here and been through like a journey with the the city and now yeah. you're on the, on the other side of it in such like a positive way. What, what's that, what's that like? Uh, it's, um, it's for sure. Like for me, it's, um, it's rewarding. I think just because, uh, I, I came here, been here, have gone through, you know, ups and downs, you know, from fans booing to us losing, um, to us being number one in the East and, and things of that nature, me adjusting. So there, there, you know, I think, um, in terms of like the fans and whatnot, I think there is more of a mutual respect now where uh, at first I didn't understand like, uh, you know, where some like some of the things were coming from. But then I started to just get a real gauge of like, you know, fans are extremely prideful and, and, and want our team to win and want to see a great product on the floor. Um, but I always say like, you know, and I've, Oh, had this like realization of like you can't want the praise if you're not gonna um if you're not gonna be okay with you know the booze or whatever it may be right so it's like just like staying leveled all throughout and I think you know for me it's like I, I try not to like boast or big up myself because I know like I've I haven't there have been bad games I've had there's been good games and like through my career and through you know, even this season, there's going to be ups and downs and it's just staying level, uh, especially like in the position that I'm in and in the role that I'm in as well. It's like, you, know, you get nine shots, you got to make seven of them, right? To be able to like, yo, that was a great game for me, right? Whereas like you get 16, 18, you got to make seven, eight of them. And, you know, that 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 sample size is bigger to be able to have more of a failure to reach the success, right? So for me, it's like, I think, you know, in 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 that sample size that I have in this role, it's like, yo, you got to be great at it, but also to understand that it may not happen for you for two, three nights, but how do you mentally prepare yourself in your mind to know, hey, I'm on to the next one. Each game's like, you know, a new page of the story. Just be ready to go and ball out and be ready to, do what you have to do. So I do think there is that type of mutual respect now. And um, for me, that that is, you know, grab, uh, that is like um, uh, important to me to, to have that type of satisfaction. And I just look to kind of continue to, to be there for that and to continue to take that in. Well, it's, it's working. And I, uh, it's not easy, as Mike said, to like change your game this, this long into your career. Yeah. Um, you just got married. I'm getting married in a couple of months. Anyway, hey, man, advice. are you ready? I'm ready. What do you What do you got for me? Any advice? <laughs> hey, it's it's uh it's not as bad as people say it is. <laughs> what, what is it? <laughs> you know, the like, wedding or the marriage? Well, okay, wedding. Now, wedding is oh, a lot, I, man. Wait, the wedding is the best day of your life, man. It'd be the best day of your life. I promise you. Where are you getting married? Uh, up here, up the coast. I mean, I'm in LA, so like uh, around Santa okay. Barbara. Oh, nice, nice. No, nah, you have the best day of your life. You know, I will say, wedding. Make sure you take the moments with you and your wife of like 
enjoying seeing it, experience it because you know everybody come there for you guys and it's about you. So it's it's a beautiful time and marriage is great. Like everybody's like, oh man, oh you getting married? That's what everybody says. Oh, you getting married? Yeah, yeah. I'm getting married. If a marriage yeah. is it's a fun time, it's it's great. It's like you know, you, you'll figure out there are little things that you do that's going to really irk your wife. Like me, like I don't pick up my clothes sometimes. It's like, mm. it flips her out all the time. Pick up your clothes. So those are like little things, but it's <laughs> marriage is, is, is a good time. Well, man, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I have, um, I have a lot of respect for, uh, for you as a player, but for what you've done to help this team win, because like, that. um, I had a meltdown on the podcast like six weeks ago about like players compromising to win. Like, cause you only get so many chances on a good team. And when you look through the history of like great players coming together, you know, when LeBron got together with Wade and Bosch or, or KG with uh, Paul Pierce and uh, Ray Allen, like everybody tries to like meet in the middle. And that's not easy when you're a star NBA player, but man, you fucking did it. And, and like, I, I, you deserve an immense amount of respect for that because you you looked around yourself and you said to win, this is what we're going to have to do. And you did it. And I, an immense respect for you. to. I appreciate you coming on the podcast, but what you've done for the team and, and, and in that connection to the city, it's a lot and you deserve a lot of credit for it. And I thank you for that. I appreciate that, man. Thank you. That really means a lot. Thank you. Thanks for coming on, man. Now go win the fucking championship or something. Let's yeah, do it. Love it. Yeah. That'd be great. That'd be good. <laughs> All right, guys. Hey, this was awesome. Thanks, All right, man. That'd be good. We appreciate Thank you. you. Appreciate right. you. Bye, buddy. Thank you. All right. Just knocked the fucking thing right off. Yeah, you waved, so I waved excited. And I knocked it right off. I didn't ask my Ben Simmons question. I didn't do it. Well, I talked about it earlier. I, we, we almost got in trouble a couple of times. The question was yeah. I'm watching, did you watch the Hawks Nets game last night? No. It was a it was a good game and yeah the, they won by yeah. one right yeah yeah we talk we talk about uh we talk about the Nets later in the podcast but yeah the question I was going to ask him was they the Hawks are doubling Ben Simmons when he's handling the ball in the half court the what? Hawks the what? Hawks are helping off of shooters in what? like semi transition to can, double Ben can I can and, I can I play doubles after can I like make the argument for it I guess do you think that they are thinking that he will panic, that he's going to get fouled and throw the ball away. No, it can't be that. That's all he does. He only is doing it to drive. Like he hit, he hit like he. I was surprised when I was watching. He hit like a little like uh, his or spin his, around little like six foot floater type thing push up. Yeah, yeah. But like he's only he's begging you to double him so he can kick it out to Seth or Patty or something. Like he's and the it, the fact that it's the hawks doing it i think there just must be something ingrained and we we should i'll, I'll get off of this we could talk about the reflecting on the tobias interview yeah, in a second yeah. but i think it must be something ingrained in basketball that like if you see like a big athletic guy with the ball in your hands like you just your brain is like help like help, help yeah. like go to ball a little bit and it's like blows me away that even the team like the hawks who were present for <laughs> the thing yeah, wouldn't it was probably have, good you didn't ask Tobias. I, yeah, I think so. I yeah. think so. Yeah, we so, almost got him in trouble a couple of times. But anyway. So he was great, obviously. He's the best, man. Yep. What a sweet guy. Yep. And he's, I, I meant what I said, man. He, he, there's very rarely, like, it's not a lot of times that players actually do 
what he's yeah, done. No, you know, for sure. I think it's like if you were to, in, in general, if you were to bet on, oh, is this player going to do that? The answer is like usually no, like 70%, 75%, 80%, 80% of the time it's no. So, um, so we thank Tobias for coming on the pod and, uh, obviously wishing the best and obviously uh, Tobias has become like part of the ship, you know? Yeah. I forget yes. at what point we talked about the ship of Theseus. I think it might be later in this podcast, but he's, but like, he's been here a long time. You, yeah. you have to like, yeah, you have to be like embronzed in like, have been f- fused together with like, you know, Embiid is obviously the guy, but like he's been, he's there now. And like Maxi's yeah. there now and like shake and Korkmaz are there. It's like guys that have been here for a lot that we can like feel like we're living with. Um, it would be really, really validating for them to make a playoff run because of how Tobias has uh, been such a big part of this team. That would be awesome. So for those of you watching on YouTube, we're actually going to do a mailbag. We have a few mailbag questions. Um, so we're going to do that now. If you're listening on a podcast, you can see that there's like 20 minutes left. So I don't have to tell you that. But um, but uh, thanks for watching on YouTube. And thank you to, to Tobias and the Sixers for arranging it. And I'd, I'd like I give them a lot of credit too. <laughs> I beat on Tobias like a lot over the last few years. Look, I think I think yeah. harsh but fair with Tobias. Yeah. And now, yes. now I've been I've always been pro his defense. And yes. I, I felt like I was trying to convince him that I was on the podcast. But like I, you know, I was. And I listeners was. No, I have. Give you credit. Yes, absolutely. Um, but uh, but now he's great. He's yeah. he's he's a great guy. He's very easy to talk to. Um, okay. I I almost asked him to have a competition to name as many uh, 06, 07 Tennessee Volunteers, <laughs> uh, and I think I would have won. But yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't yeah. want to put him on the spot like that. All right, mailbag in a second. That was a delight, <laughs> I assume. <laughs> For all the pretending, the pretending that we have to do. It was a delight. What if it wasn't a delight? What if it was terrible? Yeah, we got into a little bit of a fight. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just guess. Let's guess how it went. He was weird about the book thing. I didn't think he yeah, would be. he was weird about the book thing. Yeah, I'm sure right. he was. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. We love LL. Man, LL 308. Is that what the number is? 308. Ricky listeners have purchased engagement rings from LL Pavorsky Jewelers. We got another email the other day. Another satisfied customer. The first sponsor of the Ricky. An unofficial, an official, unofficial member of the Ricky. If he is that, he is the most well-dressed member of the Ricky. Treats all of our customers like gold. Look, he's been in business for over like 30 rose years. Rose gold, correct. He's been in business for three decades over at 707 Walnut. So he was treating people great before the Ricky, right? And then we were lucky enough to partner with LL. And I'm so happy that so many of our listeners have gone to him because he does treat everybody really excellent, which is really important when you're spending a bunch of money on an engagement ring, even, or if you're not just engagement rings with LL, anniversary presents, birthday presents, whatever, uh, you know, uh, Valentine's day is coming up, but it's so important to me that a purchase like that is done with somebody as trustworthy and good as a guy like LL Pavorsky. He's just going to treat you really awesome. And you don't find that a lot with jewelers. And I can promise you that LL is the real deal. If you want to buy an engagement ring from LL, you have to make an appointment uh, because he wants to make sure he has the time to spend just with you. You can do that by calling him, 215-627-2252, emailing him, lee at llpavorsky.com, or tweeting him at LL. Pavorsky. He has always been a supporter of our charities and continues to be. Providence Animal Center, Mama T's Community Fridge. LL Pavorsky Jewelers. Gonna start counting how many LL engagements have turned into LL babies, and he doesn't care if it sounds weird. <laughs> it does sound a little weird, doesn't it? Mm. 
Yeah. Uh, mailbag. You want to do a little mailbag? Wrap it up. This, sure. this will be the unless something fucking crazy happens. This will be the last pod of um, of the uh, of the year. There you it's go. Been, been quite a year. You year can, number forty of this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Full yeah, 40, can you believe ten years? years? Yeah. I can't. The only podcast I can think of that's been going on that long is the Bill Simmons one. I I honestly can't but he, think. But of, does he have? Does he have the same person every time? Is it him and the same person? No, no, no. So but that it's doesn't even him. like count. That doesn't even count as anything. So ours is longer, is what you're uh, Absolutely. Longer running. Because okay. ours counts as twice as long. Because it's twice, it's 10 years for me and 10 years for you. Yes. And and Basketball Jones was before us, but they changed names. Yeah. Doesn't so count. it's not Basketball Jones anymore. It's us. Right. We Inexplicably, win. it's us. Yeah. I can't think of what my life will be like if we ever don't do this podcast. Like if you don't have to watch the Sixers and then talk about it for two and a half hours. Yeah. And then I guess the feelings I get talking about it and people hearing me talk about it. I don't know. I don't know how I will be different. I could have a meltdown. I might, (laughs) my, my, my life might fall apart without this podcast. I don't know. I just don't, I just don't know what it is. Did you see, we got an email. I don't know if it's okay to share, so I'm not going to share the specific email, but we got an email from a listener whose dog was, uh, he was driving his dog in for surgery and said that to calm himself down because he was so nervous, he listened to the pod and thanked us for being there uh, because it is, it's meaningful to him or whatever. Like those, every time I've ever thought about not doing the podcast, I've thought about like, well, we're all sort of in this together. And we can't bail out. Like, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't we, know. I mean, I've been doing bail. I've been doing this longer than I've been a, a TV comedy writer. So I don't know. I don't it's know. Crazy. I'm walking around. Yeah. Without this, well, yeah. I feel like I'm not wearing pants. Yeah. Well, that might be nice too. That might be nice. Uh, get a little mailbag before we get out of here. Uh, writes Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. Writes Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. This came from Ross from Glasgow, Scotland. Hi, Spike. Hi, Mike. Hi, CJ. Long time, third time, and Merry New Year. My basketball question. Rumors are swirling about Mike becoming the next Sixers coach and soon. But given his lack of basketball experience at the highest levels, he needs to show his hand regarding what kind of leader he would be if tapped. Mike. Were you clear that the team needed to win nine in a row? They defied your direct order. What is your next move? What kind of leadership can a Mike team expect to receive? I walk into Daryl's office and I demand he cut Montrez Harrell live on television in front of everyone. <laughs> I need to show. I need to show force for being disobeyed. That's you know Brett Brown had the bell to reward players, and you would yeah. have the live TV cutting. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. You're rolling with an iron fist. Yeah, we're replacing you with one of the two-way guys. I don't even care who it is. Uh, Non-basketball question. You two have been together for nearly a decade, and somehow you have rarely fought, at least on air. That's pretty amazing. (laughs) Rarely is funny. Yeah. Does this reflect- Not never. Not never. Does this reflect, one, Spike's maturity as the elder and inward-looking nature? Two, Mike's, Mike's chill nature and general uncomfortableness with conflict- or three, this is a basketball podcast, so, you know, what's the big deal? You guys are great. What do you think? Uh, I, by I think the way, just as a- Mostly a, three, probably. Um, yeah, it is a lot of talking, though, to, to another person and disagreeing. You know, I've been around that a lot in my job. It can cause mm-hmm. conflict. I think- um, Well, CJ is constantly breaking us, breaking in between us, holding us back. Right. A lot of that. 
The I only remember one. I think any argument we've had has been on the podcast. I remember one specifically that didn't make the, or two that didn't make the podcast. I but, only remember one. Uh, okay. I remember one early on, and I remember one during COVID. Yeah. Okay. I might. I might remember what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The early one is one of the dumber things of all time. Yes. One it of was the, one about of the, the Phillies. One of the dumbest <laughs> ones that anyone could ever have done. <laughs> like the guy who emailed last time and said him and his brother fighting. The guy who got banned from Twitter for threatening to kill his brother in the yes. Vinnie Curry argument. Oh, yes, yes. So this was like that. This was that level. Yeah. Except it was on the podcast, but then it didn't air. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, what do I think it is? Well, um, I don't know. I, I think we've gotten better at it at time as, as time has gone on. Like sure. I can, I, I can say like specifically as like just truthfully that as time has gone on, I have come to understand that our perspectives being as different as they are is what is part of what makes the podcast valuable. Like if, if both people thought like me all the time, we're always like sort of pessimistic or whatever, it would be a bummer of a podcast. Um, so I like that typically the things that would, that would, that would frustrate me in like a debate like that, I actually enjoy that they exist. Mm. Um, it's really only like little things, which I think in any sort of relationship, like you end up actually arguing about a thing that is insignificant. It's just like tweaks you at the wrong time. I sure. think that's what it is for me. So, uh, I mean, I think a lot of it, yes, but a lot of it is also just like, there's another game and. Yeah. Fucking two days. Right. <laughs> you yeah. just like, yeah. you fucking clock in and clock out, man. Yep, yep. Uh, this comes from Slavic. I, I think that's your name. I'm sorry. In the, in the, your name on the email looked like it was, it was in a, it was definitely in a different language. I don't know if it was uh, Russian or whatever, but it looks like your name is Slavic. Let's guess. Let's, okay. So, hello guys. Happy holidays. Let's talk about our hypothetical favorite team. Would you rather like a team to have a high, like 99% chance to win a championship, but in a very unenjoyable way with lots of game abusive stuff, lots of fouls, lots of free throws, same pick and rolls every play, or to have a team that has a 3% chance to win it all, although has a puncher's chance and every contender afraid to face said team in the playoffs, but looks fun, plays the game with heart and passion, tries something flashy here and there with a decent amount of success and enjoyable to watch through the whole season and not only when they win the last game of the summer. Sorry if this is too long. What was the first percentage? The first percentage was 99%. Let's say that's, oh, let's that's say crazy. that's fake. That let's one. say they have as much chance as the number one team any year, right? Like, let's so say like, like 8% versus 3%. Let's say even 15%. Let's even say like prime warriors who I think were probably oh. like. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to, it's hard to, um, imagine that. Yes, but it's yeah. also like when they're winning, it doesn't matter how they're winning, it yeah. would be fun. If they were that unstoppable, if they were that much of a juggernaut with, you know, Harden and Embiid, yep. you know, foul hunting or whatever it is, even a less enjoyable version of them, whatever, um, then we would enjoy it. Yes. We would have a great time. And it wouldn't matter. We would relish it. Yeah, we would we would be amused by how much everyone hated watching the Sixers. For sure. Yeah. I'd be we'd be like pulling out the referee rule book and pointing at things. It would be it would be nonstop. But we're not they're not good enough to be doing that. I mean, would you, would I like shave off a couple percentage points of let's say 
the Sixers odds the Sixers odds to win a championship now or if they were a little better to win a championship odd than now to be like a Grizzlies-esque team that's like way more fun and yeah. like bouncy and like talk shit and like runs up and down transition and have more like boat mentality to them maybe maybe if it, if it was like a, a negligible percentage from like six to four yeah i might i might consider that yeah yeah i th- for me the i i, I mostly agree i i agree, agree with your first uh, point wholeheartedly i think the the team that i would find very little joy in rooting for and i know people say i'm crazy for this but wait like, let me guess let me guess let me uh, guess go ahead I was my first thought was Buttonholzer because you you just hate him, but yeah. I think that you would you wouldn't say that about Giannis. You yeah. would have a good time with Giannis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think this will make sense to you once I say it. I'm, I don't think it's it's not an Eastern Conference team, right? No, no, no. It's more of a concept than a team. Oh, oh okay. Never mind. Sorry, I thought yeah. you were picking a team now. Never mind. Go ahead. No, like if the six if Daryl Morey went on some wild trading spree this summer. Yeah, yeah. And all the players were new next year. And Theseus. You're, you're, yeah. you're in Theseus mode right now. Yeah. And like, it's this like, I pick him out just because I read the Kyle Newbeck story. Up, but like this weirdo LeBron team that like everybody's new and, and they're clearly the favorites and, and like they have three stars. And I just like, I like the process of like, going through things with players because yeah. I think it makes the win better. Totally. So, so which would be which is why it'd be so satisfying if, yeah. if the Tobias Harris Sixers won a championship. Correct. Always We've been, been the through Tobias it with Harris him. Sixers. Yes. We've been through it with this this fine gentleman. Uh, final mailbag question. Write Ricky Sanchez at gmail.com. We're not doing any voicemails today, but you can leave one at 833 lick face. Uh, this comes from Andy. I love Maxi, but he doesn't fit our timeline. There's a Toronto trade out there somewhere. Maxi and Toby for Siakam or for Van Vliet and OG. I mean, no. I mean, I the I think people get hung up on timeline like way too much. And like they must players all must be within like a two to three year age difference between them. Well, Kawhi wasn't on the the rest of the the Spurs timeline. Of course not. When of course he won. Not. I mean, and he obviously he played a smaller role on that than he did with the Toronto championship. Sure. But. I think you need a, a blend of guys, and he's good right now. It's not like we're talking about like, you know. You look at the you look at the Grizzlies since we brought them up. Like, I I wonder if they trade should trade Zaire Williams and one of those other young guys for like a Kyle Kuzma type thing, right? And be better now. They clearly believe in Zaire. They traded up for him. They they took him early, earlier than he was predicted predicted to go at least around draft time. Although he was a higher ranked prospect uh, coming out of high school. Um, at some point you have to like decide to go for it at some point you go for it but yeah. but like there's a difference between Tyrese Maxey who was like if he, if he had played all season potentially a borderline all-star mm-hmm. or at least in the conversation in like the you know one of the last 10 cuts um, and and somebody that you're like they're so raw but they're so good they can get they could get there and so I just don't I just don't agree with the idea that you have to trade Maxey in any way um, yeah. And, yeah, it, yeah. and then it just you know who knows how good he could keep getting, and for the next like ten, you there's a real there's a real world where you have Tyrese Maxey at a team friendly deal for the next like eight years. And and by the way, I don't think you're getting Siakam and Fred VanVleet for Tobias and Maxey. Like I just don't think that's... And I don't think I'd want to. I I, understand, I think neither team would want to do that. 
I think Siakam is very, very, very good and weird and such a specifically bizarre player. And he's and he's really improved as a jump shooter. He has like touch from all over the court. He's really interesting. He's a, he's a fine defensive player. Um, he's good, but like not the guy. Tobias has already worked himself into being the the what you would want Siakam to do. Um, so I don't think I would love that. And I don't, I'm just not a Van Vliet guy. I used to be like, he's fun, like as an undrafted guy, but when he's become like this, you know, franchise point guard type, like, I don't think he creates for others that much. I think his shot selection is minimal. And I think he is like, he's really small. Like he can, he's hard to move, but he's really small and not athletic. Yeah. I was going to say he's, he's slower than you think he is when you're watching him. And I like him. I like, I would love to have him, but but yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I generally agree with you there. And yeah. I agree I mean, with you. It, just, it, it goes to show that I think they thought, oh, great, here's the next Kyle Lowry. And he's just not as good as Kyle Lowry was. No, he's good. And he's good. He's very yeah. good. But like, there's something to be said for not, you know, Van Vliet takes a ton of tough shots. And Kyle Lowry like never really did. Yeah, and the act of not taking things. those shots, like got them better shots. Yeah. And that's why, and I'm I'm opening a, a big can of worms at the end of this podcast. But like Ben Simmons doesn't take tough shots. He doesn't take any shots, but he doesn't take tough shots. And so, like the better shooters get open looks. Um, and that is, even though like it's definitely frustrating to watch him a lot of times. Like at least in the regular season, like he gets guys good looks because he's not forcing tough shots. Whereas Van Vliet, I think, too often. Is taking like way way difficult shots, so he doesn't have to, and he's not on the level of like a Jason Tatum, where he can make those shots, and he's big enough to get them off and stuff. It's funny. I I, I promise you're not opening. I'm going to wrap it up. No, here. I did. The but, worms are open. The worms but, are all over me. So the the Nets are playing great. Obviously, they've found a spot for Simmons. Uh, for I have, for now. I have a Simmons question in the Tobias thing, so I don't want to. Okay. We might okay. have already talked about this. Okay, I don't think you're gonna. You're, we talked about this. Maybe we did, but I, probably not. So he. He has not made a free throw since November 25th. That's tough. Over that is, what, like 12? Well, here's the other thing. He's only taken, and it's, I think it's 11 games he's played or 12 games he's played. He's only taken eight free throws. Yeah, yeah. He's missed all of them. So, and then the Nets, like you, you'll see the starting lineup. Everybody's played 35 minutes except for Simmons, who's mm-hmm. played like 24 mm-hmm. because they can't play him in the fourth quarter or whatever. Because, so, so I tweeted something about it. And of and course- And they can't like, play him unless like- Ben and or uh, then like Durant and Kyrie are there basically. Right. So I got a bunch of like Nets fans saying, well, we don't need him to shoot free throws. Like all he needs to play is defense. And I'm just like, okay, there's a, a massive difference between being bad at shooting free throws and not, not like being able to touch the ball, not wanting to touch the ball because you don't want to get fouled because you don't want to go to the line. Like he should be going to the line eight times a game, not eight times in a month in, in five weeks. So I mean, that ship has just so sailed. That ship is right. gone. That ship is so in. If, the, if I were the you, Nets, that ship is in space. Like that ship is so gone. He's just he's a role player right now. Like he's really he was with the Sixers, but like they needed him to be more. And now on this team, they don't need him to be more because if, they have two of the best scores of like isolation scores of like their generation or of any generation. And Simmons is like just able to do the only the things he's good at. And then they have other guys to put in so and they don't have to play them later in the game. If the Nets are, are truly serious about winning the championship this year, and maybe with his play, they have rehabbed Ben's like um, value a little bit. I, so. I look at like, I look at the Suns and, I, and it, there's salary problems here, but like if I could get like 
Jay Crowder and Dario Saric and a pick or something for Ben Simmons, I have a better chance of winning the championship mm. than with Ben Simmons. Interesting. You know, like, like if they had a wing who could play defense, but also shoot when he's open, mm. you know, I don't know. Just a thought. Just a thought. The, Ben is, Ben is able to look playable and pretty good right now because of how good Durant is. Right. It's because Durant is still the best player on the planet, which is why when everyone was saying the Raptors would be, would hang up the phone if you asked for Scotty Barnes was insane. It was insane then, and it's insane now. He's Kevin Durant. Scotty Barnes is a nice player who might make one or two all-star teams one day. Kevin Durant is still the best player on the planet. It's crazy. All right. That was it. Thank that Tobias interview was so good. So uh, thank good. you, Tobias. One of our best. Yeah. We will talk to you Monday night after the Pelic the second Pelicans game. Is that what's with the game that's Monday night? Yeah. Is yeah. That, yeah. All right. So we'll talk to you then. Uh, Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Are you down with TTP? Yeah, you? No lick face. If you don't fuck with me, then I I won't fuck fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! That's a friend.